This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. Have you ever opened an Easter egg and been completely disappointed? I mean, like, Tootsie Roll disappointed? I feel like we kind of need to talk about Easter candy to start things off. Why, why, why would we be so excited about chocolate-flavored candy when there's chocolate that we could eat? What I'm looking for inside an Easter egg is something magnificent, like a, a Nestle Crunch bar. Not uh, a single black licorice jelly bean. I got yelled at this last week. We had a, a bag of jelly beans in the office, and I was eating around the, the licorice ones. And uh, somebody told me that if I was taking jelly beans, I had to take a, a licorice one with the handful. I couldn't leave them behind. Thank you, Audra. Uh, in our house... In our house growing up, we would eat all the jelly beans and there'd be a dozen licorice left in the bowl. None of us, none of us would eat them, so they went where they belong, in the trash can. I've always been partial to Nestle Crunch, though. Um, my, my mom would occasionally buy a, a bag of the assorted minis, you know, the Hershey's, Mr. Good Bar, Crackle, which is Crunch's, you know, almost as good little brother. And... She would, she, we, would, we would only be allowed to, like a piece of candy at a time. And so I would go to the, the candy dish and take out all the crackle. And she put it on, like in our entryway, she had this desk. And I would put them in all the drawers of the desk and hide them. So she said, you, you can have one, one piece of candy. I would pull out the crackle and eat it. And my sisters would have to just pick from what's left. Mr. Goodbar? No thanks. And so it became a joke in my family. I went back for Christmas this year to my sister's house. And she had all the crackle in a pile. And gave them to me to say, I know what you did all those years. <laughs> it, it wasn't a kind pile. It was, a, it was a, an angry, spiteful pile. And so I took all those crackle and I hid them all around her house in random places so that she could have Christmas all year, looking for things, opening up the refrigerator and finding crackle in the eggs. You know, just, just fun little things for her. So that was my gift. Anyway, Easter candy. What's your, what's your favorite Easter candy? What do, you, what do you look for inside an Easter egg? I think the perfect Easter egg would have a Cadbury cream egg inside. That, that's perfection at Easter, right? Um, and I, I, I'm not talking about designer chocolate. You know, Dietz's is off the table. I'm talking about packaged chocolate. The, I think Cadbury cream eggs are the best we can hope for in that. Uh, you can't pack a chocolate bunny in an egg, so I think Cadbury cream egg has it. But this is an extra large egg. I think I could fit one in here. Uh, they, they're really good. But I, I find myself wondering about Easter eggs. <laughs> there was one year, I didn't tell my kids I was going to say this, there was one year we were doing an Easter egg hunt, and uh, there were a bunch of kids, and we said to our boys, like, hey, just, you, you don't need a bunch of candy, just get like four or five eggs and come back, let the other kids have them. And so I saw my kids uh, finding eggs, opening them up, and putting them back, because they didn't have good enough candy. <laughs> if they were only allowed to have five, they were going to get the best five they, they could find. I'm like, I'm so proud right now. This is what I would do, for sure. Uh, I guess the only thing more disappointing than, than opening up an Easter egg to find uh, something like a, a Tootsie Roll or black licorice jelly bean would be to find an empty egg. Have you, ever, have you ever come across an empty Easter egg? Usually, when you find an empty Easter egg, you think, well, that's a mistake. Somebody messed up. 
maybe when they threw that egg in the pile, it broke open and the, you know, the candy fell out. But then why is it whole again? That doesn't make sense. Maybe, maybe somebody bought a batch of prepackaged Easter. You, know, you can buy pre-filled eggs to save you the time. The candy inside's not that great, though. We, I think we tried it one year. It wasn't great. But, but you, you wonder, is there a mistake? Why is this one empty? Maybe they knew this one was for me, and it's a message. But it's, it's, a, it's a feeling of disappointment, isn't it, when you come across an egg that's empty? I, I've heard ministers uh, on Easter will bring kids up to stage and have a little, a little devotion for the kids, and they'll say, you know, here's an empty Easter egg, and it, it, it symbolizes the empty tomb. And I, and I like that message that kids can understand, but the emotions are all wrong. The empty tomb is not about disappointment. It's about hope and, and victory. It's about the power of God. The empty tomb is not a mistake. It, it is so full of purpose, so full of God's deliberate action through Jesus. It, it's unmistakable. And this morning, as we can continue in our series, we're actually finishing up the series today, uh, The Wonderful Cross. And we're going to talk today about the power of the cross. And we've, been, we've been reading through the, the, the events in the life of Jesus, leading him toward the cross. Uh, last week, he was placed on the cross. He submitted himself to that. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about the power displayed as Jesus gave up his life, uh, was laid to rest in the tomb, and then rose three days later. And we're, going to, we're going to begin there in Matthew chapter 27. If you want to turn your Bibles with me, uh, we'll, we'll be in verse 45 as we begin. If you want to uh, use the YouVersion app, you can open that app up, search under events for Parkview Finley and find scripture and sermon notes there in the version app. The words will be on the screen behind me as well as we read together, beginning in Matthew. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You thought I was going to read Aramaic. I'm not. I'm reading the English. When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with, with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split, and tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those who were with him, who were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified. And they exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Many women were there, watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee. They followed him to care for his needs. And among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. All of these people present to see the power of the cross. The power displayed through this, this device of torture. That's, that's what the cross was in, in Roman times. It was a symbol of fear. It was used to control the population. It, for them, would be like if we would go to a museum and see an electric chair. All of the people in the empire of Rome, including the Israelites, saw a cross standing in a place like this. And it was a warning to them to obey the law. It was a warning to them of the worst possible punishment that they would have to endure if they were found to be lawbreakers. 
they would endure this tortuous death, a very public death, put on display, not only as punishment, but as an additional warning for those people. Jesus took the cross and redeemed that image to become a a, a symbol of, of his power, a symbol of his love, a symbol of hope to us because he laid down his life, because he sacrificed himself for us. The power of the cross is found in the sacrifice of Jesus, sacrifice that was made for our sins, the sacrifice that he willingly endured, knowing what it would mean for us, knowing what it would mean to us. He submitted to that. Now notice the power of God on display as Jesus laid down his life. Darkness covered the land from noon until three. Three hours of darkness in the middle of the day. Have you ever experienced that strange sensation of of things dark when they're not supposed to be in a a horrible storm, when clouds are thick and hanging? It it gets dark in the day sometimes. In an eclipse, when when things happen in the sky that don't normally happen and the sun is blocked out, when, when it's dark, it means bad things are happening. We, we recognize that, that unexpected darkness as a, as a sign that something is happening that shouldn't be happening. And when the death of Jesus came about, the earth went dark for, for three days. Scripture tells us that the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And you think about the, the symbolism of that. If, if, if someone had, had gone into the temple to tear the curtain and grabbed hold of it to rip it, it would have ripped from the bottom up where human hands could have gotten hold of it to tear it. This, this curtain was torn from top to bottom, the power of God on display, removing the barrier that separates us from his presence. That's what, that's what the curtain was in the temple in Jerusalem. It was the separating barrier between all the people of Israel and the presence of God. That's where the Ark of the Covenant rested. That's where, that's where the, the high priest went once a year to offer sacrifices for the people of Israel into the presence of God that only he was allowed to go into and only that one time a year. And when, when that curtain was torn, it, it represents to us this new access that was provided to us to the presence of God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 describes what that is to us. Beginning in verse 19, says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the, whole, the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere hearts, with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. We come into the presence of God. When Jesus sacrificed his life, the the curtain of the temple was torn into providing us access. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, we've been given this access because of the sacrifice of Jesus. That's what we should be pursuing. We should be be seeking after the presence of God that's made available to us. That, That is what we should be living for. That Jesus, when he died, became that curtain, not the barrier, the doorway into the presence of God. That's what he became for us when he laid down his life. The power of the cross made known through the sacrifice of Jesus. 
power is displayed in darkness, the tearing of the curtain. It was also an earthquake. The ground shook and tombs broke open. This incredible moment as nature testified to the identity of Jesus as the Son of God laying down his life. And here's, here's a detail we don't normally talk about. In fact, it's something that, that you don't hear a lot, even on Easter, that when those tombs broke open, the dead <laughs> came back to life. And after the resurrection of Jesus, they went into Jerusalem, and people saw those they knew from, from a while ago that, that they had already laid to rest back to life. This is the power of God expressed at this moment in the world because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Notice what happened to the centurion. Those guards who were standing around the cross, they saw the darkness. They wouldn't have known about the, the curtain in Jerusalem. They were outside Jerusalem for the, the crucifixion. The earthquake, tombs breaking open, those who were, who were in those tombs raising to life. And, and this, this battle-hardened commander of troops, the centurion, was terrified at, at the sight of things happening around him. And his response was this, surely he's the son of God. This, this, this man who was a part of the Roman Empire, culturally, religiously, would have worshipped the Roman pantheon, stepped out of his culture to testify to the identity of Jesus, stepped out of his religion to acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God. It stood alongside all of creation that was testifying to the identity, the power of Jesus as the Son of God. Our story continues in verse 57. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, the one, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, the deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples might come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate said. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the death of Jesus, these final preparations were made. His body on the cross. Uh, those who cared about him wanted to see his body taken care of. And Joseph, one of his disciples, uh, stepped forward and asked Pilate to, to, to take the body of Jesus down, to honor him, to care for him, by wrapping him in linen and placing him in the tomb. Another gospel writer tells us that Nicodemus also came with spices to honor Jesus. And they placed his body in the tomb. This, this final ceremony, this moment of, of closure as they, they laid Jesus to rest. There were these preparations that took place. And while those who cared about Jesus wanted to care for his body, there were other people concerned about what would happen to his body as well. The religious leaders were, were there and they were, they were nervous about the disciples pulling a switcheroo. 
Nervous about, about this deception that, that might take place. That the, the disciples might come and take the body of Jesus and tell everyone he rose. Because they believed that he had been lying about his identity as the Messiah. They believed that he hadn't been telling the truth. And they were worried that, that if the disciples could make this known, that they would turn the crowds to Jesus. And that this, this deception of fooling people into thinking that Jesus had risen from the dead would draw more people away from the religious leaders. Would draw more people to Jesus. This last deception would be worse than the first, they thought. Notice that as much as the religious leaders were worried about Jesus, as much as they were concerned about him, as much as they opposed him, as much as they hated him, as much as they were trying to get rid of him, they paid attention to what he said. They were the ones who went to Pilate and said, now remember, this man that, that we would call a deceiver, remember he said, in three days I will, I will rise again. They, they were paying attention. And while they didn't want to believe what he said about himself, they were worried. They were aware. They knew what was taking place. What they didn't know was the significance of the power of the cross. The power of the cross that was made known through the sacrifice of Jesus. The power of the cross that is victory over sin and death. They were, they were concerned about a political victory. They were concerned about a religious victory. They were concerned about, about maintaining control of the crowds of Israelites, keeping the allegiance of the people on themselves. Jesus was focused on something much greater than that. Jesus was focused on winning a victory over sin and death, of conquering sin and death for us. And that's what he laid down his life to accomplish. This incredible victory. This victory that, that helps us understand the meaning of his sacrifice. Move on to chapter 28, begin verse 1. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, don't be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Now the women went to the tomb expecting to care for the body of Jesus. They didn't expect what they found. Instead of the body of Jesus, they found an empty tomb. Instead of the body of Jesus, there was an angel that looked like lightning sitting on top of the tomb, speaking to them about, about Jesus that they had come to see, telling them the very words that they had hoped to hear. Now notice that when they found the tomb empty, there isn't a trace of disappointment. Not a bit. No one thinks that this is a mistake. The women heard the message from the angel and immediately went to do what he said. 
And on the way, they encountered Jesus, who told them the very same thing. Go and tell the disciples. Go and give them this news. This is not news that will disappoint them. This is news that will fill them with joy, with excitement, with hope, because everything Jesus said was true. And and these are words that they should have counted on, words that they should have known were coming, but they needed to hear them. In in other Gospels, we hear that, that the disciples ran to the tomb to see for themselves. After hearing this message from, from the women who came to speak to them, they went and saw for themselves, instead of believing the, the message that Jesus delivered, they wanted to dispel their own doubts, to have confidence that the tomb truly was empty. That was where their hope rested. That's where their hope lied, that they would see the power of, of God exerted through the resurrection of Jesus, miracle displaying his power. A miracle that helps us understand how Jesus provides for us. Jesus used the cross to provide for us. He used this this image of torture, this device of punishment, and, and used it to provide for our greatest need, used it to reach into our lives and provide to us grace and forgiveness through his sacrifice, that by the shedding of his blood, he would make payment for our sin. By sacrificing his life, he would free us from the penalty of death that we deserve because of our sin, that Jesus would make that payment using the cross to provide for us, pointing us to the the hope we have in him, pointing us to the forgiveness that brings us into a new life in him. It's incredible recognition of all that Jesus did. Now, we've been reading through these stories, and and remember, we're we're not taking one event and unpacking the the meaning out of it. We're taking several events together. That's what we've done through this whole series of of stacking these events in layers to gain a a fuller understanding of of what they would have meant to the people involved, what they mean to us. And and today, we've seen a a variety of different people around the cross, around the tomb of Jesus, and we, we can learn from each of them. We can learn from their response to Jesus. And maybe, maybe you've been able to identify with one or more of these groups of people around the cross. Maybe the crowd is a group of people that you can identify with. The, the crowd of Israelites who were, were present when Jesus came into Jerusalem and they said, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they welcomed Jesus as a king. And they were so easily influenced by the voices of the religious leaders that a number of days later, they're standing in a crowd again and they're not shouting Hosanna. They're not shouting praise. They're shouting crucify him. They're demanding the death of Jesus. You, you had asked any of those Israelites on the, on the triumphal entry when they were laying palms down in the road, can you imagine yourself a few days from now calling for the death of this man? None of them, none of them would have been able to imagine that moment. And yet that's where they found themselves. So easily swayed, so easily pressured into this place, doing things they never expected that they would do. Maybe you've, maybe you've been in that situation. You have a commitment to, to Jesus. You want to follow after him, but, but you know that people have a place of power in your life, the influence of people. You're easily swayed by the pressure of a group of people around you. You find yourself doing things that you know you shouldn't be doing. You find yourself easily talked into things that you would not have ever predicted yourself doing. And you know, you know 
that instead of listening to those people, you need to listen to the word of God. You need to let his truth be a guide in your lives. Maybe, maybe instead of the crowd, you identify with Pilate, governor of the people, a man in place of power. He's intelligent. He's influential. And, and when he encountered Jesus, he didn't find anything wrong with Jesus. He didn't find any fault. There was nothing in, in the person of Jesus that Pilate said, yes, he's guilty. You should, you should crucify him. And in fact, Pilate said the opposite. He, he's innocent. I find no reason to punish him. But in that moment, Pilate abdicated his responsibility. He said, personally, Jesus is all right with me, but I'm not going to take a stand. In fact, I'm going to wash my hands of the situation. If you want him crucified, you can crucify him. You want him punished, go ahead. And maybe you recognize that that attitude toward Jesus, that you don't see anything wrong with him. There's, there's certainly nothing objectionable, but when it comes time to take a stand for your faith, when it comes time to make a decision, uh, you know, I'm just not ready for this responsibility. I'm not ready for this commitment. I'm not, I don't think I'm ready to, to take a stand for the Lord. And you wash your hands and move on to other things. Maybe, maybe you identify with the religious leaders, who heard all about Jesus, who heard him proclaim himself to be the Son of God, the Messiah. And they disagreed. So I don't, I, I'm not ready to hear this. I don't agree with you. I, I can't accept the truth that you are the Son of God. And they lived in opposition to Jesus and refused to allow him to make a difference in their lives. Maybe you've been in that spot. And you have loved ones who are talking to you about Jesus. And, and you you want to believe. You know they care about you and, and you understand the importance of what they're saying, but at the same time, you're struggling with that and you're pushing back against this, this message of Jesus and, and you're having trouble accepting that truth and, and making a decision to change your life because of it. We encounter so many different people around the cross, around the tomb of Jesus. There's also disciples. Maybe you identify with the disciples. Maybe, maybe you have made a decision to follow after Jesus. Maybe, maybe you have very specifically been working to serve him, to honor him, to, to proclaim his message in the world around you. But notice what happened to the disciples when things got tough. They got scared and they ran. And they hid themselves away together. And they gathered behind closed doors to make sure that those who imprisoned Jesus wouldn't come after them. To make sure that they would be safe and protected because they were afraid. And maybe you've been in some tough situations. And, and while you are a faithful Christian, there have been times when you've been unwilling to take a stand personally. When conversations are happening around you and people are talking about their beliefs, people are talking about culture, they're talking about politics, and you know that you disagree with some of the things that they're saying. You know that, that deep down you, you, you shouldn't just nod and, and, and go along with the conversation. But you have trouble standing up for that truth. You have trouble standing up for, for, for God's word. You have trouble acknowledging maybe even in those difficult moments that you're a Christian, that you have a relationship with Jesus, and you find yourself backing away, fleeing, hiding. As Christians, we're called to do more than gather together to worship the Lord. We are called to gather together and worship the Lord, but we're called to, to come together to learn and to grow and develop our skills, to develop our talents so that we can make an impact in the world around us. We're called to come together to encourage one another, to build each other up. 
so that we can make a difference in the world when we leave this place. God is calling us not to, to retract from society behind closed doors and, and, and be together and protect one another and be wary of what's happening out there. He's calling us to come together, to pray over one another, to, to teach each other from the word of God, to build each other up so that Monday when we leave this place and go back into the world, when we go back to school, when we go back to work, when we encounter people, we have a hope that is brimming out of us. We have a love that is overflowing that will make a difference, a significant difference in the lives of people. To help them come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior as well. That's who we're called to be. So as we think about all the people around, around the, the cross of Jesus, around the tomb of Jesus, there, there's a group that I want us to think about in particular. A group that we overlook most of the time. What, the people I want us to think about are those who were already dead when Jesus died. Those who were already laying in tombs. And when the power of God was expressed... They sat up, and they walked out. And after the resurrection, they went into town. And people saw them and went, what? I thought you were dead. What are you doing? I'm alive. Think about how much we learn about this group of people who are impacted so significantly by the sacrifice of Jesus that they are instilled with new life. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, describes how we should live like these people. Beginning of verse 6, chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, we cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him, that he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive in God, to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. This is the power of the cross in our lives, the power that brings us into new life, the power that helps us realize that, that chasing after our desires, living for sin is a hopeless existence. It is death. It is going to earn us death as well because the punishment for those sins is just that. When Christ died, he paid the, the price. He paid the consequences. He paid for the debt that we owe because of our sin. 
he laid his life down. He shed his blood, and that blood set us free. It set us free from the hold of sin in our lives. It set us free from the, the chains that sin wraps around. It set us free from the pursuit of fulfilling our desires again and again. Set us free to live a life in him. And that's what Paul is calling us to understand, that we've been set free from sin so that we can offer ourselves to God, that we can live a life of fullness, that we can live a life of purpose, that we can live a life full of his power because he has made us new in him. He has made us to live for him, to offer ourselves every part of us for righteousness instead of continually pursuing those dark deeds that we would choose instead to live for him. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the love that you expressed by sending him to the cross. We thank you for his willingness to sacrifice himself for us. And God, we thank you for the, the love and grace that you poured out. We thank you for the life that you give to us. We thank you to be able to sit together today, to stand and lift our voices together and worship you and praise you because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.